Section 19 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cheryl Holmes, M.D. Criminal Investigation, A Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers, and Lawyers, Volume 3, by Hans Kroos. Translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Theft continued. When persons to the number of five or more commit or attempt to commit robbery, robbery being theft with violence, they are said in India to commit or attempt to commit dacoity. But though any five persons who join in committing robbery are technically dacoits, ordinarily speaking, the word dacoit signifies one who, being a member of a robber band, generally of large number, makes his living by robbery. In India, this trade is a widespread and lucrative one, carried on under the very eyes of the police, who find this a branch of crime very difficult to detect. The gangs of dacoits are, or ought to be, well known to the authorities, but their operations are so sudden, the property they carry off is so difficult to identify, being usually cash or gold and silver, which can be immediately melted down, and their chief frequently appears so respectable, being perhaps headman of some village who never goes out himself, but plans operations and directs the gang, that to bring about their conviction is generally a most difficult task. Witnesses are either afraid to identify or cannot, in fact, identify individual members of the gang, and as often as not, the local policeman is unwilling to really bring about their total dispersal. His impulse is always to harry the localized convict or known depredator, K.D., or ne'er-do-well, while the professional robber is miles away with his booty. The methods of these gang robbers, and of the local police in their attempts to bring about their conviction, have changed little, if at all, during the last 50 years. The records of the superior courts in 1854, for instance, point conclusively to the fact that then, as now, the local policeman had too often no desire to track in a systematic manner the real robber, but preferred to trump up a case against any person of bad character, any alleged enemy of the victim, or anyone who for some reason or other was sought to be put out of the way. Out of 197 persons accused in 29 cases of dacoity in the Madras presidency in that year, there were acquittals in no fewer than 21 cases. 136 accused persons being acquitted either by the lower or appellate courts, whereas only 61 received substantial punishment. In one case, we find the appellate court indulging in the following remarks. The report of the Adigari, dated the 12th September, states that up to that time, the prosecutrix knew nothing of the guilty parties. All her subsequent statements must be attributed to the instigation of the head of police. The sessions judge to be instructed to call the attention of the magistrate to the conduct of the head of police, who, it is to be feared, induced the first prisoner to confess, led the first witness to make the statements he did, and concocted the whole case, and even went so far as to suggest to the subordinate judge the propriety of obtaining the sanction of this court to the eleventh prisoner being allowed to turn approver. In another case, the court remarked, the proceedings of the sub-officer of police have been most dilatory. The second prisoner was not examined by him till the 18th December, and the witnesses from 1 to 4 on the 18th, 24th, and 25th December. The fifth witness, though a material one, was left by him unexamined. 
in yet another case we find the appellate court judgment concluding as follows there is no part of the evidence which can in my opinion be safely relied on there was no information to account for the earliest arrests there was nothing to lead to the first confession obtained the second third fourth and ninth prisoners who were first apprehended were detained in confinement without warrantable cause and unexamined for about twenty days after which the first prisoner was taken up also without due cause and then confessions were obtained these proceedings are calculated to throw much suspicion upon the operations of the police and prevent my having confidence in the evidence furnished to the discovery of the property produced by the prisoners and to its being what was stolen i therefore concur with the sessions judge in acquitting the prisoners and direct their release parallels to the above selected at random from madras forgedari udalat court judgments could be easily culled from the high and chief court records of to-day whether it be that when such failures in detection occur the police are in league with or afraid of the dacoits or are too incompetent or too lazy to cope with the work of hunting them down is not for us to say if it were a case merely of inability to charge anybody we should not feel justified in blaming them for anything but incompetence and might acknowledge on their behalf that they are not so clever as those with whom they have to deal but this is not so they do profess to elucidate such crimes and they do bring charges which in many cases turn out to be utterly lacking in foundation the investigating officer has thus a double duty to perform he has not only to watch his subordinates and prevent them from shirking their work or bringing charges against innocent persons but also at the same time to see the real offenders brought to justice general hervey in describing the north of india dacoits tells us that many of them live in excellent masonry houses with underground passages arranged to facilitate escape and for storage of booty they are well supplied with the best food and spirits load themselves and their women with jewellery and are noted for the charity and hospitality but a curious observer might detect that a close intelligence was withal a part of them all that the eye is restless and watchful the child is signalling something the woman's song is a voice of warning whether by word or intonation and that the man's hang-dog look cloaks furtive glances which connect him with the persons who are peering through the high-thorn fences of the cattle-yards which project from each dwelling or with others who flit from window to window or terrace of their labyrinths and subterraneous abodes in southern and central india these gangs of robbers frequently raid the country for months before returning to their headquarters generally some out-of-the-way village the men of the village are if not themselves members of the gang most often in its pay and are only too ready to place every obstacle in the way of the police if search be attempted in their houses they even show fight the whole village at times neighboring villages join in and a hundred witnesses can subsequently be called to break down any case of rioting the police may launch against them at the same time it must be recognized that great difficulties beset the police honestly and strenuously endeavoring to obtain convictions of gang dacoits sir e c cox but a high official in the bombay police service whose experience extends over many years has aptly epitomized some of these difficulties a police official he says might know the names of men who make their living by plundering in every direction he may even be able to lay hands upon them but what then when caught they were engaged in plowing their fields or other equally inoffensive occupations 
who was going to give evidence against them. A search in their houses generally leads to nothing, for the stolen property is either at once sent to a distance, or else buried in a field until such time as the hue and cry may be over. Then the villagers, who have been disturbed at dead of night by a band of armed men, and made to disgorge the valuables, are, even if they wish to do so, at considerable difficulty in recognising the offenders, who may have painted their faces and otherwise disguised themselves. But even if they can identify certain persons as robbers, what advantage is it to them to say so? If they do, they will in the first place be taken hither and thither by the police to attend searches in which their property may perchance be found. They will then be summoned before the magistrate to give evidence, and, subsequently before the sessions judge, at the greatest possible inconvenience and loss of time and money. Then, as often happens, the sessions court does not consider the evidence sufficient for the conviction of the accused, and the decoys are acquitted. The next proceeding of these gentry is to set fire to the cottages or haystacks of those who have complained. The ordinary native is not imbued with any great power of public spirit. It is not wonderful, then, that the people of any particular village which has been visited by decoits should prefer to undergo the loss and be done with it, and either insist that they are unable to identify their assailants, or even combine to say that there has been no decoity at all. It is not likely, they think, that their village would be entered again for a similar operation. Let other villagers take their chance. As for any thought of the people turning up as one man, and capturing or driving off the decoits, such an idea seldom enters their head. On the few occasions when I have known it attempted, it has answered admirably, for the decoys have not much pluck to sustain them if they are resisted. But these occasional bursts of courage on the part of the villagers are few and far between, and it is not wonderful that decoys flourish exceedingly, and the police are driven to despair. How, then, when a decoity has taken place, are the offenders to be satisfactorily brought to justice and punished? No doubt the rule usually laid down Keep the district quiet with armed patrols and get suspects bound over, is admirable, but this in no way answers our question. The time-honored method of the subordinate police to beat the suspect till he confess is not open to the investigating officer and must be rigorously discountenanced by him. But what then? Criminal statistics show us that the wholesale conviction of a gang of robbers is a most exceptional occurrence. The only advice possible for us to give is really the nature of a few hints, as follows. 1. Become acquainted with the habits and methods of working of the known decoits in your district. 2. Never make an arrest until certain that independent testimony will be forthcoming at the inquiry and trial. 3. Never forget that the women are deep in every plot. 4. Be extra suspicious of the man who is away from home for weeks at a time, and have his movements watched, if possible. If implicated in a case, he will subsequently attempt to explain his absence with the usual excuses. Away buying cattle at X, to a ceremony of his daughter at Y, etc., and he will have numerous witnesses and even postal and official documents to support his statements. But when he finds that he has been carefully shadowed for days before the offence, and that his explanations will not be believed, things will look very black for him. And if he cannot be actually convicted on the substantive charge, enough will have been brought out to warrant his being bound over. 5. Never forget that the headman of the suspected village, 
that is, the village where the dacoits usually reside, may be the moving spirit in a dacoity and, if it can be managed in a lawful manner, have his house unexpectedly searched. 6. Always remember that all the inhabitants of the suspected village are usually thoroughly in league with the dacoits, and if any of them be put forward by the village magistrate to give evidence, their statements must be treated with great caution, not to say suspicion. 7. In a prosecution, before calling any particular witness, be extremely careful to determine in what circumstances he has been brought forward. It is unfortunately a common practice of the police arriving at the scene of a dacoity, on the villagers being unable to give any indication as to who have robbed them, to demand the names of their enemies and, unless these have conclusive proof of alibi, immediately to arrest them. For reasons stated above, a complainant may be most unwilling to bring any charge against the members of a robber gang known to frequent the neighborhood, but he leaps at the chance of implicating some of his particular enemies, whom no Indian villager is without, and does all in his power to assist the police in fastening the offense upon them. If then the investigating officer discovers that the persons implicated in a dacoity are enemies of the parties robbed, he must view the evidence of the latter with the greatest suspicion. 8. It frequently happens that, though the real dacoits have been arrested, their conviction is impossible through want of evidence. As already mentioned, one of the band is frequently willing to turn informer and give a circumstantial account not only of the perpetration of the particular robbery under investigation, but also of other dacoities in which it has been engaged. The investigating officer must therefore take care to obtain from such an informer a complete and detailed account of the dacoity. A bald and uncircumstantial statement will favor the defense more than the prosecution. In illustration of this, we here quote an account of the doings of a notorious band of Lombardy dacoits, which was broken up some years ago in Mysore. It is a narrative of a member of the band who turned informer. Anyone reading it cannot but be struck with its apparent truthfulness. It is just such a narrative as this that will preclude any suggestion that the statement of an informer has been got up for the purposes of the case. This account is also interesting as showing the organized methods in which dacoities are planned and carried out. It is reprinted, by the author's permission, from the excellent monograph on the criminal classes of the Madras Presidency by Mr. Mulali and is in the dacoit's own words. I was near Raidurga before the famine and belonged to Peru Nayak's Tanda. During the famine, that is to say six or seven years ago, we came to Mysore and stopped near Shikarpur. With us, the members of another Tanda, which was led by Bhan, also came and encamped near us in Shikarpur. In Bhan's Tanda, also, there were about 15 or 16 men. These 16 men belonging to our Tandas were convicted and imprisoned for committing a dacoity in a washerman's house there. Thence we left that place, and after having been for a month in a place called Maigondh, we came and encamped near Gorasamudar in Chilakiri Taluk. Ban's thunder did not accompany us. A month after our encamping in Gorasamudar, Hema Nayak and Vallu Nayak came with their thunders and encamped there, the former with forty and the latter also with a number of men. Leaving the camp again, we came to a place near Kadapalli in Chalakiri Taluk and encamped there. 
Once again, we sent away our thandas to Bhutipura in the Heriyur Taluk and 15 or 20 of us went away to commit robberies towards Nonampuli and Amrapur in Her Majesty's territories. Within two or three days, they joined the encampment in Heriyur. I did not go. Dungriya and others, named, had all gone for that excursion. Thence we came and settled near Dindavar. Leaving the Thandas there, the party went towards Bellavi of the Tumkur district and, after committing decoities in two places, returned within two or three days. I did not accompany that raid also. Thence we went near Kulir. I mean the Thanda was removed. We stopped there for a month and then we went to Tiptur. I mean for excursion only. A party went. I did not go even there. There were some cartmen and others were robbed. Thence we removed the Thanda to a stream on the other side of Kozadvig. There is a Kanari called Buttapanna Kanari near Huliar. I had gone out for that raid. There we committed a Tukoiti and again at Arsa Mangundi. Then again we changed our Thanda to Lokatulalu. We left our Thanda here and a party went away towards Kanakata. There we committed a Tukoiti. I was then present. Then we plundered on the other side of Nagapuri. From there we went towards Duda of the Hassan district. There is a road there from Tiptur and in that crossroad we plundered about 15 or 20 carts. From these raids we returned home to our thunders. Then we changed our camp again to Kandavari and ourselves went towards Berur and there attacked and plundered the marriage party. We returned from there, thence we went away towards Brahmasagar near Vijayapur. Leaving our tanda there, we went towards Tiptur. I did not go. A party had gone. Thence we went straight towards Huliar. I mean, we took our tanda there. Leaving the tanda there, a party went towards the Sibi temple and there committed some plunders. I had not gone. Thence we returned home and once more went towards Amrapur and committed some decorities. I was one of the party then. There the Thanda separated. Hemanayak's Thanda quarrelled with us and went and encamped near Brahmasagar near Chalakiri. My own and that of Velunayak went away to the other side of Hulir and there encamped. Hemanayak's Thanda people robbed some people at Kutikari near Chitaldrug. The Sarkar people came to our Thanda in connection with that occurrence and we, both the Thandas, ran away from there towards Munduki in Dharwar. There we stopped away. While we were there, we committed two raids on Mysore. I had come once. It was at Kurligi and on another occasion near Harpanhali. We had not come to Mysore. Cartmen were robbed there. In one of those raids, one of our men by name Ramachand was killed. After this, we went away towards Gajendragaru and thence to Golak Mundrigi. There, we stopped for three or four months and did not commit any robberies. We had gone to hire our bullocks twice or thrice. Meanwhile, one Thodi, a woman, brought news that Hemanayak's party were near Gupti, having run away from Brahmasagar. Shortly after, Ramdas and four others of Hema Nayak's Thanda came to us. There they told us that Gola Nayak had been caught at Chitaldrug, that some had run away towards Gutti, 
and that they came running there, leaving their families near Karnul. Ramdas offered to Peru Nayak that if he gave him 10 rupees, he would bring him a Nayak's party and that they might then go somewhere for committing robberies. Within 15 or 20 days, he returned with all of Hemanayak's thanda, and there we all assembled together. We were all there for 8 or 10 days, during which time all the leaders conspired to commit fresh raids, as their cattle and all property had been taken by the Sirkar people, and we started towards the Malnad. But before this, we of Perunayak's thanda had gone towards Gudikutti and there committed some robberies. There was Totanayak's thanda there, and four or five of us came there. My own younger brother is Perunayak, and his marriage had to be contracted. Solanayak said that the Sirkar people were in our pursuit, and that no marriage was then possible. He said that if we came to the Malnad, he knew some Hegadesi's houses there, which he said might be plundered, and that the marriage might also be celebrated there. Hemanayak was sent for, and he agreed to send his party. As agreed, we of the three Tandas, that is to say, Perunayak, Valunayak, and Hemanayak, came towards Malnad. That is to say, we left our Tandas near Bomanahali and ourselves went on an excursion to Malnad. Straightaways, we went to Shikarpur. There in the jungle, some of our people were in advance and others were seated under a tamarind tree when three Brahmins were seen coming towards us. They were riding on ponies. They saw some of us and came towards us, calling out, Robbers! We were about 30 or 40 people. I too was present. A consultation was held, and it was decided that if we let these Brahmins go, they would go and raise an alarm, and that our program to commit depredations in Mulnard would be spoiled, and that, therefore, all the three should be killed. Seven or eight persons went and beat them. Some of this party, I mean of our own, had a gundakati, a sword, and some clubs. The three Brahmins were beat with them and killed. Tulia, Ratnia, and Chandivalya, not here, struck them dead. Tulia had the sword, Valya had the knife, and the others had clubs. The others also had surrounded them, but it was these four that cut and hacked the bodies. Thence we went straight on to Harikupa. In the jungle, there were left all the people. Perunayak, Jaganya, Kala, and Somla went and brought nine men of Totanayak's party, including Totanayak. Then, near Harikuppa, some women and others were coming in a cart which we attacked and plundered. I was present then. Then we went away towards Mudamkuppa in the Shimoga road. In that road, three or four Brahmins were coming along walking. Then a cart and some three horsemen came, also a bullock man. All these men were robbed and we went away into the jungles toward Kumsi. There we stopped for midday in the jungle and Totanayak brought news of the Rissul, treasure, cart. We all went there, surrounded and attacked the cart and plundered the contents. We found the Rissul money in it, which we carried away towards Shikarpur. Thence we went to Bomanhali in the Dharwar district. There we had our cattle on which we carried rice. We concealed the money in rice bags and went away to Surapur. There, we united with the other thunders and were all together. The plunder was then distributed and the money was paid away according to each man's share. Each man got 300 rupees. Valya and Tulia took 100 rupees more than others. 
these thandals were separated at Sapur near Sarapur. There were many people in all the three thandals. We thought people's alarm will be raised and attention directed to our number, so we separated. Peru Nayak's thanda went away on one side, and the other two thandas of Valu and Hema went on the other. Proto Nayak turned away from Shikarpur. There we stopped away, and the Sirkar people seized us there. This is all my story. We were brought thence to Shimoga, and I am here. Protonayak, Jaitri, their sons, and others of Protonayak's party joined us from Malnad. These were not present when the three Brahmins were killed, but joined us after and were present during the treasure dacoities. Of the prisoners in court, none are of my Thanda, that is, Perunayaks. They belong to Valunayak's Thanda, and Valunayak is himself the twelfth prisoner. All these were present with us during our raids. Some were going for some and others for others, but all and every one was taking part in the dacoities and living from the plunder which we used to get. Valunayak was with us also. He does not go out himself to commit robberies, but stays at home. When the treasure dacoity took place, we had left him near Surapur or Guluk Mandrigi. When our thandas were in this country, he used to remain in the thandas. He is the Nayak of the thanda and as such the head. He would himself take a share in all the spoil, send out his men, give directions for the commission of robberies and concerting such measures. Of Hema Nayak's thanda, there are Badabalya and eleven others, named. Near Balapanakkanari, about fifteen or twenty cartmen were beaten. It was a party returning or going towards Chitaldru. It was about daybreak when these were attacked. I do not know what the carts contained. Near Arsamangundi, we also attacked and plundered ten or twelve carts. In the former, we did not get much money. We got about one hundred and fifty rupees. We got also some clothes, etc. In the other, we got about three hundred rupees. Near Kanakatti, it was all a pedestrian party going to markets. Near Nagpuri in Tirupuli hills, we plundered cartmen. Only a little money was found, but we got about ten seers of silver and three seers of gold. It was dark when we committed this, and I cannot say whether there were any women in the party. Near Duda, another pedestrian party, or rather two or three parties returning from the bazaar, were beaten and plundered. There, an Anchal runner was stopped. As he said he was government servant, we let him go. He was going to Tiptur. Pera was present, and he had a gun and kodal when the three Brahmins were killed near Najibagipalla. Pera took part in it and struck them dead. None of those Brahmins recognized Pera Nayak. I was sick in Shikarpur, and in fact had gone away to Hema Nayak's Thanda in Raidrug. I do not know if my brother Peranayak was going to Kuptacheri in that Dobi's Dakoiti. It was in Raidrug that I had heard my brother Lala and my nephew Bhimla had been imprisoned. When we came to Ullavarti from Brahmasagar and before that, Hemanayak had come over to us at Handavadi. We were giving him a share in the spoil and he took a share of all the dacoities. In such chore thandas, Nayaks take two shares while the others take only one. They are the leaders and big men and have to be watchful of both the good and evil from the Sirkar people. This is the recognized usage. All these three Nayaks, Videla said, Perunayak, Valunayak, and Hemanayak, 
used to receive two shares from the very commencement. Hema Nayak's people were with us, and it is our custom that this big Nayak should also be given his share wherever he might be. Hema Nayak received 900 rupees in connection with the treasury remittance. He got it in Surpur. End of section 19. Recorded by Cheryl Holmes, MD.